welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, how's everyone doing this morning? You know, I, I want to just give a, a quick uh, shout out or, or thank you to, uh, to the children's ministry team uh, led by, by Greg, particularly. Um, it's really neat to see, you know, how many young kids we've got in this, uh, in this fellowship here. And uh, over there, they're learning the same things that we're learning here uh, about the goodness of God and, and the greatness of God. And uh, if you're, if you're interested in, you know, in helping and being a part of that, there always are looking for, for more people. And the idea being that, you know, if you got enough volunteers then maybe you only need to serve once every once a month or once every two months, if we get enough. And fortunately there's enough people who are, who are, available to teach the kids. So that's not, we're not asking people to be a part of that. Uh, we're just looking for more people to kind of supervise and just be around to, to kind of help the kids with their various things. So if you're, if you're willing to do that, that'd be great. You can go and talk to Greg, uh, Greg Ballard. He'd be happy to, to have you uh, be a part of that. And there's something about for every four volunteers, he promised a silly song, something about that. I'm not sure how, how true that is, but only one way to find out, I guess. So but if you have your Bibles uh, with you, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter six. We've been going through this passage. We've been going through this uh, great passage really on, on Christian warfare. And, and this morning we're finally beginning to examine the, the armor of God section, that very famous section. And, and there's certain undeniable truths that are in this world. For example, water is wet. The, the earth is round. Ian, pineapple belongs on pizza. I'm sorry. Uh, a dog, dog will find the one person in a crowd that's not comfortable with dogs and they will jump on that person, right? Just undeniable truths in this world, right? On a serious note though, there is the undeniable reality that you and I live in the midst of a battle. And, and no amount of ignorance or no amount of denying or, or pretending that's, that's not the case will spare you from said, from said attack. The, the question really is how often will they come and, and in what form will they come and when they'll come. And so that's why we spent some time studying our enemy, specifically understanding who our enemy is not and that our enemy is not flesh and blood. That means that your enemy is not your spouse. It's not your children or your friends or your coworkers. It's not even those who disagree with us, whether, whether it be about political issues or about, you know, the best hockey team and so forth. That's not who our enemy is. Instead, our enemy is really threefold. Our enemy is, is Satan is demonic forces. It's the world and the flesh that, that enemy from within, that's not who we are, but nonetheless attacks us. And, and together those three sort of make up an unholy Trinity of sorts. And, and I keep repeating that point that those, those are our enemy and not flesh and blood, because I think it's so easy to think that our enemy is other people. And especially because I think that's what the flesh wants us to do. It wants us to attack one another because if we're attacking one another, not only are we oblivious to, to the real attacks, the real enemy, but also we end up, you know, having some friendly fire. We end up hurting those who we love as well. 
Now, how we're attacked may come in very different ways. Obviously, there's, there's the temptation to things that are immoral, whether that be lust or, or drunkenness, lying, cheating, stealing, gossip, adulterous or immoral relationships. There's a temptation towards pride and, and judgmentalism or, or looking down on other people and being critical. Or, or maybe even it's a temptation to overeat. When you know Jesus is telling you, you don't need a fourth helping of ice cream, but you go anyways. Or maybe it's the temptation to withdraw, to, to pull away, to, to disengage, maybe from your family or your friends, because maybe you're feeling overwhelmed or, or maybe you're just scared. And, and in those moments, God's saying, don't disengage, engage, because your friends and family need you. But those are, those are only some of the attacks, right? Those temptations are obvious, but there's other forms of attacks that our enemies take. And, and some of those are shameful thoughts. Thoughts that you're just, you're just not good enough, that, that you don't belong really. And that, that you'll never belong. You'll never be one of these other people because you're simply either too much or not enough. Or, or maybe it's memories, memories of how other people have hurt you and what they've done to you. And that now because of what's happened in your past, you're, you're used good. You're violated that there's something, you know, damaged about you that can't be repaired. And you'll always be that way. And you'll never be able to overcome your past. Or, or maybe it's because of how bad and how broken you are. You can't ever let them get too close. You can't let them see you up close because if they ever did see you up close, they would see all those faults. They'd see all those problems. They'd see those cracks and therefore they would get to know the real you and reject you. And so you got to keep people at a distance and maybe you do that by rejecting them. If they get too close or, or you just always, again, stay that disengaged and withdrawal distance because you're afraid or, or maybe it's memories of guilt guilt of your past, things that you said or, or things that you've done, the people you've hurt. And then there's the thoughts of fear and insecurity that you're alone and you're isolated and no one will care for you or fears around your living conditions, around finances or your job or your dreams or relationships. There's just so many different ways in which you and I could be attacked. Now, for most of us, we don't find ourselves under an attack 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If, if you were likely you would be needing medical help and nice padded rooms because the attack would be so overwhelming. Instead, I think these attacks, they come in strategic moments. They, they come when our guard is not up, when we're, we're not watching for these messages. We're not watching for these temptations. And sometimes they come in a very subtle form. Sort of like that frog in a pot that's slowly boiling. We don't realize we're in trouble until it's too late. And so these messages come in a, in a subtle way, in a slow way, that's just slowly building and building and building that shame and that anxiety. <clears throat> but then there's other times where it just sort of comes at you like a coiled snake and it just overwhelms you. It's like an ambush and it just jumps you and pounces on you without any warning. And in either way, the question is, what do I do when the attacks come? How do I respond? And that's what this passage is all about. This passage we're going to look at this morning begins to show us how, our, how can we can respond. And, and the first thing that we saw last time was we need to be strong in the Lord. That that's the power. That it isn't about you. It's not about your strength. That if you're just more determined, if you had more willpower and more control, then everything will be okay. Instead, it's about trusting in the power of Jesus in you. 
trusting in his might and his strength. Because quite frankly, simply put, you and I don't have the strength to overcome Satan, the world, or the flesh. Never mind if they come at us together. And so we need to learn to lean into the strength of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and that will allow us to overcome those temptations, overcome those attacks. But the question still remains, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Especially when I'm under this attack. And that's what Paul tells us now about putting on the full armor of God. And he's going to describe that in a bit more detail now in this passage. Now we're not going to cover all the, all the elements this, this morning. We're going to, we're going to really only focus on one element this morning. and, And that is this belt of truth. So let's read our passage and then we're going to pray and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to the beauty of this. So in Ephesians chapter six and verse 13 and 14, if you got your Bibles, read along. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that when we come to this passage, that you're the teacher. You're the one that gets to open up our eyes to the, the glory of what you want to reveal this morning. And I, I pray that, that what you've placed in my heart, what you want to share with your children here, that it would make sense to them because I know how special and how powerful it can be that if we can begin to understand and, and believe this, to actually believe how good and how wonderful you are, then that opens up all kinds of freedom and hope. And there's a lot of us who need that, especially today. That today is a struggle. Today is a, is a battle for a number of different reasons. And our enemy is on the move, but so are you. And you are more powerful, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this, this issue of truth is, is really important. I mean, we see in, in social media, in the news media and, and, and politicians and advertisers that the whole world is in a battle to define what is truth, what is real. And, and you and I, we're about to get a big dose of that with the federal election likely to be announced. Because you see the various political parties, they're all going to try to create the narrative that defines the truth, that frames how we describe things. And, and so all that's going to be going on around us. And then, then we have now this new element about this call to censor what's truth and what's not truth. And, and all the shaping of perceptions and so forth that happens on social media now. And, and the problem there is, well, who gets to define the truth? Now, we're not going to go down that path this morning, but I want to show you to you, though, how important truth is. That truth matters because it, it ultimately shapes and frames how we see the world around us. And so because of that, when we're counseling people, one of the things that we find people struggle with so much is, is this idea of believing something that goes against what they're feeling. And so we often give them this definition of what truth is. Truth is what God says. It's not what I feel. It's not what I think. And it's not what others say. What I love about that definition is it it points us to Jesus. It points us to the person of Jesus Christ. Think again, what he, what he said to his disciples in John chapter 14, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. He, He takes ownership of the truth. And we see that truth is a person named Jesus, meaning that he has the market cornered on what truth is. And so if you and I have a idea that differs from what he says, then we're wrong. 
because Jesus is the truth. And so what we can see there is there is such a thing as absolute truth. There is such a thing that is, there is truth that we can hold on to and is firm, which is important because we hear a lot of people today say, well, what about my truth? Or that's your truth. And I have my truth. And, and sometimes they can be in direct opposition with one another, but it's okay because truth is relative. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. Well, that, that kind of thinking I think is really a remnant of what took place in the garden. You see, what happened in the garden is we thought that we would be like God. And if God is the one that determines truth, then we should, as little gods, get to determine truth as well. And so you can have your truth as a little God, and I can have my truth as a little God, and we can now coexist in that way. But the problem is it doesn't work that way. You see, when people are talking about my truth, they're not talking about truth. Rather, they're talking about their perception. They're talking about how they're perceiving, how they're understanding the truth. And, and while your perception doesn't make something true, it's still very much important though. It's critical because what you believe to be truth matters. What you believe to be true will ultimately determine how you live. Proverbs 23, seven says it this way, that as a, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about God, what you believe about other people, that will determine how you live. And the problem there is if you're believing a lie, Jesus says that that lie will place you in bondage. That lie will, will control you and dominate you. I love how Jack Taylor once said, he put it this way. He says, when you and I, when we believe a lie, whether by passive consent or positive agreement, meaning whether we acknowledge it as, to, as, as, as a, something we believe in or whether we just don't reject the lie, we give the enemy a legal right, a legal uh, ability or opportunity to wrap that lie into a framework or a system of beliefs that for all intents and purposes is the truth. Because I believe it's true. I'm going to live like it's true. For example, if I'm given a project at work or at school and I, and I believe I'm going to fail, if I believe that I can't handle it, I can't do it, then chances are I'll give up before I even have a chance to fail. And therefore I will fail. Or if I believe that my friends or my family, if they really knew me, if they knew my struggles, if they knew what I was going through, that they would reject me and, and they wouldn't want anything to do with me, then I'm going to live out of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to wall myself off. I'm going to close myself to the people and I won't be vulnerable and honest and open with them. And they will sense that. And they'll sense that there's something lacking authenticity in that relationship, which will prevent them from loving me and me receiving that love. And so what ends up happening is these lies become essentially self-fulfilling prophecies because I believe I'm not love. I live in a way that, that doesn't, doesn't make it easy to receive love or maybe even worse. If I don't believe I'm worthy to be loved, even when I am loved, I can't accept it. I, I put it to the side and I think, well, if you really knew me, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't love me this way. And so it's really important that we know what's true, what we know, what's real. Look what Paul writes to us in Philippians chapter four, beginning in verse six, verse six, he says, be anxious for nothing. There's some great counsel for us today. We live in an anxious society. We live in an anxious world. 
where, where there's so much fear and terror and it's driving everyone's decisions, whether it be fear with COVID or fear with vaccines or fear of this political party or that political party or, or fear of just other people in general, there's so much fear and mistrust. And yet Paul writes to us, be anxious for nothing, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, God's peace itself, which surpasses all comprehension, which does not make sense at all in the least bit, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His peace is the, is the source of that. So finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's anything excellent and if anything is worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. Well, I'm asked Robin here. He's going to, he's going to be a runner right now for us. I figured of all the elders, he's the one most in shape and not have a heart attack. So we went with Robin, but um, I want to ask you guys and get some feedback of things that you, you think of things that maybe you've heard it here at new life. Maybe you've heard it in, in, in other messages that you've listened to or other churches you've been a part of, or you've read it in the scriptures, or maybe there was something in the, in the song this morning, things that would fit this list, things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and good repute of excellent, worthy of praise. What are some of the things that, that you've heard that have impacted you that have would fit this list. So if go ahead and raise your hand and, and Robin will find you and then just, just shut it out. I can't see anything. So I don't know if hands are raised or not. So. Even when it really hurts that God is good all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Good. What else? What else can you guys think of that would fit this list? He smiled when he made me. <laughs> smiled when he made you. Amen. What else? We got one in the back up there. Run, Robin. Uh, I think it's Job that says, uh, yet though you appear to slay me, I will trust in you. Yeah. Yvonne. Me or forsake me. You'll never, never, ever leave or forsake us. And that, that's such a powerful truth, right? Because so many times we, we feel like God's abandoned us. Or we feel like we've, we've done something that will the, the disallow or, or, um, or cause us to lose out on that relationship. But that's not true. Where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds all the more. What else? What are some other things that, that you've learned about, you know, yourself and God in this relationship we have that's, that's excellent and praiseworthy? It's really good when we get cross corner stuff for Robin. That's really. That God can do imaginably more than I can ever dream or imagine. 
Oh my goodness. That's so good. Right. I mean, some of us have some massive imaginations and it pales in comparison to what God's able to do. What else? How many, how many people appreciate the truth that you're forgiven of everything and, and that you've been, you've been made right. Absolutely right with God, meaning that you're 100% approved and accepted and you're a new creation now that you're not that old person anymore, that that old person is gone and, and you're a new person that's actually free. In fact, Galatians 5, 1 says it was for freedom that Christ set you free. And, and now that you're free, you're, you're free from sin. You're free from a law that is judging and, and evaluating your worth based on your performance. You're free now to just rest in God's grace. Wonderful truths, incredible truths. And so he says in, in verse nine, and these things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will, will be with you. And so we're to, we're to dwell on these truths. We're to dwell on all these wonderful things. And you're going to experience the presence of God. You're going to experience his peace. Paul says, and like I said, there's just so many wonderful truths that we can dwell on. But if there was, if there's one truth, one truth that we could focus in on, I kept, I kept coming back to this one simple truth of the goodness of God that he is good all the time, as Mark said. And, and I thought I kept coming back to that one because I thought if I, if I could really believe that one of all, of all these things, if I could really believe that God is good and he's gracious and he's loving and he's kind, that, that the nature of God, that he's good, then I'd have a, I've got a chance. I've got a hope. You see, there's, there's so many various entities or, or attributes, sorry, of God that we could explore his power, his holiness, his righteousness, his, his faithfulness, his perfection. He's all knowing. And, and he's the only one worthy of worship. There's so many ones that we could focus in on, but the fact that he is good and that he's good to you and me makes all of that truth available. You see, he could be all powerful, but if he's not good to you and me, then we're in trouble. Then it doesn't help us. You see, if, if I don't, I, I need to know a, that, that he is good to me, but then I have to believe that he's good to me. Cause if I don't believe that, if I question his goodness, then I'm going to question his willingness to offer me love and grace. I'm going to question whether or not he's going to be patient with me, especially when I'm struggling especially when I'm already feeling the, the voice of shame and the voice of inadequacy just you know, ringing around in my head. If I don't know he's good for me, then chances are I'm going to begin to retreat from him. And I'm going to try unsuccessfully, but I'm going to try to hide from him. And I will, I will doubt that he'll answer my prayers, so I probably won't even offer them up anymore. And I, I won't believe that he's going to provide for me what I need in that moment. I'll question that he will really accept me, that he'll really love and embrace me because I just screwed up again. And so what I do now is I begin to listen to what the flesh offers as it, as it tries to convince me what is really true about me. 
true about God and about other people. And I begin to just cower under the weight of that shame, that weight of inadequacy. And now I got to go do something to feel better, to take the edge off, to take the pain away. And so now it offers me that sin. It offers me that temptation. And so we do it. Believing that has got more life than, than God does in that moment, which that sin leads to more shame and more guilt, which then leads to more sin as I try to seek comfort. So I need to know the, the goodness of God, the immensity of God's love for you and I, but again, not just in a theological way, but in a, in a personal way to you and me. So to do that, I thought we would, we look at a Psalm, Psalm 18. And this is a song written by King David. And, and I love that King David wrote this because we know so much of David's story <clears throat> that when David talks about the goodness of God, it's because he's experienced it firsthand. He's experienced it in battle. He's experienced it when he's, when he's, when his life was on the line countless number of times, but he also experienced God's goodness in the midst of his failures, in the midst of his, his, Failure as a husband, as a father, as a king, he kept finding God's goodness in his grace. So he writes in Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is blameless. His way here refers to his character. And, and, and David's saying his character, his ways, his, his integrity is, is perfect. It's faultless. It's trustworthy. And, and then he goes on, he says, and the word of the Lord is tried. It's been tested and proven. And again, we see that in David's life, how many times God consistently showed up in David's heart in David's life. And didn't matter how many times David failed. God was faithful. But I want you to think about now the word of Jesus. When, when he walked this earth some 2000 years ago, the number of times he sold, he told his disciples that he was going to go to a cross. He was going to be arrested and killed and be buried. But then three days later, he was going to rise again. And that in that resurrection, he was going to overcome death. He was going to overcome sin. And he was going to set you and I free. He prophesied that he told that to his disciples multiple times, but they didn't get it. And sure enough, he was arrested. He was crucified and he rose again. And, and that was proven because they had thousands of witnesses that saw him in an empty tomb. Nobody could question it. They tried to make up stories, but there was an empty tomb. Jesus prophesied that he would overcome death and he did. And so what we see here is that his word is true. We can believe him. What he says is absolute. And so because of that, that truth, that historical fact that he is alive, he's overcome death. We can now trust everything he's promised how he's promised to rescue and redeem you and I, how he's promised to care for and provide and protect you and I, how he's come to promise to comfort us who are suffering and in pain. And his offer always stands. It's always there. All that requires from you and I is that we would accept it, that we would trust that. And when we do, he goes on and he says that he's a shield to all those who take refuge in him. More than he offers a shield and says, come take this shield. You'll be okay. He says, he is the shield. 
And so he basically wraps himself around us and he becomes a shield. He, he offers himself to protect us from the attacks. That's something he demonstrated on that cross. Did he not? Where he took what you and I deserved onto himself so that we could be redeemed and rescued. Verse 31 for who is, who is God, but the Lord there's, there's no one like him. He has no equal. He's not just a God. He is the God. And who is a rock except our God. He is, he's this steadfast, unchanging, solid anchor in the midst of our storm. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means he'll never stop loving you. He'll never stop embracing you. He will never change his mind about you, which means if he smiled when he made you, he's smiling today. Verse 32, the God who girds me with strength. Again, we've, we're seeing some similarities in this passage with our passage in Ephesians about that, that armor, there's a shield. And now this idea of girding, you know, when, when a soldier would go off into battle, they would gird up their loins and essentially they would, they would kind of tuck their skirt up and under their belt so that they'd have free movement. They were ready for battle. Think about the football player that he, he puts on his helmet and he does up his chin strap. He's getting ready for battle. That's this idea here that God prepares me. He strengthens me with his strength, with his power and makes my way blameless. The path he leads you on is good. It's not easy and smooth all the time. We recognize that, but it is right and it is good and it is worth following him along. And so in verse 33, he says, and he makes my feet like hinds feet. This is like a, an animal's feet, to, like a deer or, or better yet, a mountain goat. Have you ever seen a mountain goat on the side of a mountain? I mean, it's, it's a marvel. You, you look at a mountain and it's, it's almost just like a sheer vertical. And, and there just seems to be no hold. And yet they seem to be able to sprint up the side of the mountain. And you look at it and think, how could you do it? I mean, if, if you, I could understand like crawling up there maybe, but to sprint, they can do it because they have such a firm grip. They have such, or not even grip, a footing, a, a, a balanced place. And that's what he does. He says, he makes you and I secure and solid. That the, the ground beneath us may shake, but we'll, we will not fall. And he sets us up upon high places. Well, here I think about Ephesians 2, 4 to 7 where we saw that, that although we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, that we were a, a miserable mess living after the flesh, following the course of this world, God in his mercy, God in his kindness, God in his love rescues you and I. He makes us alive together with Jesus by grace. You and I have been saved. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't achieve it. He was motivated surely out of his own love and kindness towards us. And he raised you and I up into heavenly places. That's where we are today. Not because you've achieved it, but because that's what God's done. He's already put us up there. 
I, I heard recently this, this man, he was asked the question about what sets Christianity apart from all the other, other faiths and other religions. And there's so many great answers that you can give. It's, it's the only one where, where God comes down to redeem man. All the others are, are trying to find their way up to God. There's so many great answers, but the answer this guy gave, it, it has struck me and it has not left my mind since I heard it. And his answer was Christianity is the only faith where you start out complete. You start out Perfect. Think about it. All the other faiths, you, you kind of start out at the ground level. And if you, if you work hard enough and you, you know, memorize some passages and you, you give and you serve and you do this and you clean up your life, then maybe one day you will reach a certain level. But in Christianity, you start out seated with him in heavenly places. You start out righteous. You start out complete in him, having everything you need in Jesus Christ. That's our starting point. And it never changes because it isn't about you and your performance, but what God has done and his goodness that he's offered all that. And so it's hard for me to imagine a higher place than seated with Jesus at the right hand of the father in heavenly places. And that's where you are today right now with him. Verse 34, he says, and he trains my hands for battle. He doesn't promise me that there won't be a battle. Instead, he says, I will train you and I'll prepare you. I will teach you how to trust me in the battle. And so many, so many of our previous struggles, so many of our previous difficulties have been that training because what it's done is it's shown, it's shown to me my inability. It's shown to me my own weakness that I can't overcome the flesh that I, I can't offer love and grace to my family but it's also shown to me his ability, his power and his sufficiency in the midst of my weakness. And because I've seen that in my life and I've seen it in other people's lives, then I know the trial that I'm, I'm, I'm facing right now. He is enough. He's sufficient. And it says then, and that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Picture that. This, this, you know, most bows are made out of wood because they naturally flex and that's where you get the strength from and shoots that arrow. Imagine the strength and power you would need to bend a bronze bow the same way you would bend a wooden bow. That's immense strength. That's immense power. And that's the kind of power he gives us because it's his strength and his power. In verse 35, and you've also given me the shield of your salvation. He protects you and I, and your right hand upholds me. This right hand in scripture always refers to a, a judgment, but a judgment of approval and acceptance. So when he offers us his right hand, he's saying, I accept you and I approve you. And I love this. And your gentleness, your gentleness makes me great. The word gentleness is, is could be understood as humility. Of, of this lowliness. And you think about the humility of Jesus who is God, who is creator, but came as a man who came as part of creation. He humbled himself. He emptied himself in order that he could now redeem you and I. And because of his gentleness, his humility, he's made you great. He's made you accepted. He's made you righteous and holy. He did all that because he wanted to bless you and me. That's how good he is. 
And then verse 36, he says, and you enlarge my steps under me. I I picture this as this idea of of running uh, on top of a moving walkway. Right. Have you, have you been on those moving walkways and, and uh, maybe in an airport and, and you're going from one terminal to another. And, and then every so often you start walking a bit quicker on that runway on that walkway, just so you can feel like you're sprinting or, or maybe one of those Olympic speed walkers, right. You even get the hips going and stuff. Right. And so you're moving and you're, you're feeling like you're going real fast, even though you may not be going much faster than normal. It's because you're propelled ahead. And that's this idea here is he's, he's propelling us. He's empowering us. He's strengthening us. And my feet have not slipped through it all, through everything. He holds us safe. That's, that's the goodness of God. And if I, if I can trust that in, in the moment when I'm struggling, if I can trust his goodness, that I can go to him. Now, please understand. I wish I could sit up here and tell you, I always trust his goodness and I never struggle, but Joy's here. And she would, she would, she would definitely call me out on that one. So I will be honest with you. I don't always trust in his goodness, but when I look in those moments, when I fail, it's because I didn't trust his goodness. I didn't, I didn't really believe that he would be enough for me in that moment that he could handle my, my shame or my loneliness or my frustrations or my anger that I felt like I had to go escape and handle it on my own. But there are moments where I do trust his goodness, where I do trust his grace and I do trust his love. And when I do that, when I experience that, that moment of trusting that I experience his peace. I experience that power and that strength. And suddenly the voice of my enemy gets quieter. Now, maybe, maybe this has not yet been your experience. Maybe, maybe you're afraid of, of really letting go of that control. Maybe you're afraid that, that it's that will God really catch you because it feels a bit like a trust fall. Will God really catch me? Cause I can't see him. I can't feel him. I can't touch him. How will I know if I fall backwards that I will fall into my father's arms? And, and really the answer to that is God's inviting us to take that step. He's inviting us to take that risk, knowing that whatever happens, he will be there to catch you in some way. And so he, he writes to the psalmist, this encouragement in Psalm 34 and verse eight, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see, give him a chance. Lean into him, talk to him, ask him to show up in your life in a powerful way. Taste and see that the Lord is good because how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How fortunate, how, how lucky, how, how blessed are we when we actually find that freedom in him. Now in closing, I, I think many times this, this, this trust fall of sort, this, this leaning into him is hard and it's difficult. And so I think God doesn't actually want you to do it on your own. Instead, I think, I think what God wants us to do is when we're in this battle, when we're in this fight, he's inviting, he, he wants us to invite others to come alongside us 
to help and encourage us in our faith, in our trust in him. And so what, what you can do then is, is find someone you trust. Find, find people that you can trust. Ideally, they're in, they live under the same roof as you, your family. But sometimes family's not safe. Sometimes family can't be trusted because of what they're going through, or maybe they're the ones who've hurt us. And that's where God's given us other people, other friends, people here at New Life. Especially as elders, we would love to be that for you, but it's not just us because the body of Christ gets to offer this to one another. And so find some friends, find some people you can trust and be honest and vulnerable with and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm I'm struggling with this sense of shame. I'm struggling with this fear, this insecurity. I'm I'm struggling with this temptation. And, And you'll know these people are good because they don't offer quick solutions. They don't offer you the, the quick fix to your problem. What they do is they listen and they encourage and they support. And then they invite you to walk with them as you go to Jesus together. And you find out what Jesus wants to do in that moment, how Jesus wants to show up to you and provide that life that you need so desperately in the midst of that attack. And so when you do go to these people, here's the critical thing you do is believe them when they, when they encourage you, believe them when they, when they edify you and they remind you who you are in Jesus. Believe them when they say to you that, that Jesus is enough. He's got an answer for you. Let's pray together. And if you believe that truth, if you believe that, that God is good and he's good to you right now, he's in control and he's faithful and he's loving and he's, he's powerful and all of that to you in that moment, then you will experience his peace. Just as, as Paul wrote that anything you've learned or received or heard in me, dwell on these truths, dwell on what's good and practice it. And you'll experience the peace of God. Let's pray. Father, how, how, do I, how do I get across to all of us how good you are? Because it's, a, it's an unlimited good. It's an infinite good. You, you aren't good some days and not so good other days. You're not more good and less good on various days. You just are good. And you're gracious and you're kind and you're wonderful to us all the time. And I think about when you were overlooking Jerusalem and, and Jesus, you, you lamented, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've wanted to protect you, how long I've wanted to care for you, but you were not willing. Father, don't let us be like Jerusalem. You long to, to take us under your wing. You long to protect us. You long to love and provide for us. May we risk that. May we be people that trust your goodness because that goodness changes how we think. That goodness renews our mind to what is real and true, which is you. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. 
subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.